This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. If this drug could extend the window during which the brain can adjust to the lack of blood flow, then so many more stroke victims might be eligible for treatment that actually saves part of their brain. That's Dr. Michael Timiansky talking about his new drug, NA1. Many scientists made more than a thousand attempts, but he's the one who discovered a drug to reduce brain damage in stroke victims. Today, Dr. Timiansky will join us to talk about his research, the science behind NA1, and when it might be available to the public. And, do you consider yourself a creative person? How about a happy one? There's a very powerful relationship between happiness and creativity. There are people who have even thought that creativity was the original or a natural antidepressant. That's Dr. Carrie Barron. She and her husband, Dr. Alton Barron, are here to tell us why finding a creative outlet could be your ticket to happiness. Paul Simon, one of the greatest singer-songwriters of the Zoomer generation, turned 71 this weekend. We'll celebrate with one of his earliest hits as a solo artist. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Getting a flu shot in Ontario will be a bit easier this year. New changes unveiled by the McGuinty government this week now allow pharmacists to administer the vaccine. It's an effort that the Premier hopes will result in more people getting the flu shot. Pharmacists are now also allowed to renew most prescriptions for up to six months, something that's sure to benefit Zoomers when they run out of regular medications at inconvenient times. The new guidelines also allow pharmacists to prescribe medication to quit smoking and to give advice to people who suffer from chronic illnesses. A new study from the AARP finds that men and women think about retirement and their futures differently. 60% of women born between 1946 and 1964 are not confident they'll have enough money for a comfortable retirement, compared with 51% of men. According to the AARP, it's because women still face income inequality and many receive lower Social Security benefits. Given that they have longer life expectancies, women are more likely to outlive their money. The study also finds that 21% of women are very uncomfortable carrying debt, compared with only 15% of men. Whether a woman with breast cancer decides to have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy varies widely from one province to another, and it appears to have something to do with travel times for treatment. A new national study by the Canadian Institute for Health Information and the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer has found women with breast cancer in Newfoundland and Labrador are having mastectomies far more often than women with the disease in Ontario and Quebec. 
The researchers also conclude that poor women have the highest rates of mastectomy, likely deciding against a breast-conceiving procedure like a lumpectomy because they would have to miss work for weeks of radiation treatments afterwards. This year, about 22,000 Canadian women will have either a mastectomy or a lumpectomy followed by radiation. And finally, many of us were shocked and saddened this week to hear about the breakup between Zoomer actors Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman. After 30 years of marriage, the two have decided to go their separate ways. It may seem surprising, but it reflects a growing trend, grey divorce. Statistics Canada says divorce in men over 50 has gone up to 11% from 7.2% in 1985. For women, it's up to nearly 9% from 5.5% 25 years ago. Meanwhile, in the U.S., the increase is even more drastic. Overall, divorces for the over 50 crowd have doubled since 1990. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a homegrown discovery that could help tens of thousands of people around the world. A Toronto neurosurgeon has discovered a promising drug that could limit brain damage during strokes. I reached Dr. Michael Timiansky at his lab at Toronto Western Hospital. Tell me a little bit about this drug, NA1. Well, this is a drug that we discovered in our lab at the Kremble Neurosciences Center about 10 years ago. And it's a drug that targets a protein that's found in brain cells, in neurons. And when it binds to this protein, it makes these brain cells more resilient to stroke uh, and to the absence of blood flow, oxygen, and nutrients. So when it's given to animals, it makes them more resilient and has they, they have smaller strokes. And we've recently conducted a human trial in order to demonstrate that the same thing happens in humans. Well, my understanding, the biggest problem with treating stroke is that there's a very short window. Basically, you have to get to the hospital and get a certain drug within three hours. Otherwise, you have irreversible brain damage. So does this extend that window? Well, uh, we think it does. So basically, in a stroke, which is what happens when a blood vessel to the brain gets blocked, typically by a blood clot, there are really only two strategies with which to reduce the amount of brain damage that would happen. Either you reopen that blood vessel, and that is the role of the only currently approved treatment for stroke, which is clot-busting medications. So if you can deliver clot-busting medications, you open up the blood flow, and the brain can breathe again. Mm -hmm. Or uh, you find some kind of a strategy to help the brain hold its breath so that patients have more time during which either the brain can adjust to the lack of blood flow or they can get to the hospital and get a treatment such as these clot-busting medications. In most people, within about four or five hours, there isn't a lot of brain left to save. So under currently available treatments, patients need to get to the hospital and get treatment within three to four hours after the onset of a stroke. So first of all, you have to recognize that you're having a stroke and not wait and try to see if if you feel better. But then once you get to the hospital, you can't just get the treatment right away, correct? Right. Unfortunately, there are two kinds of stroke. 
The other kind, which makes up about 15% of all strokes, is what we call a hemorrhagic stroke, and that's when a blood vessel in the brain bursts and there's a brain hemorrhage. So you can just imagine what would happen if a patient with a burst blood vessel would get such a medication. The bleeding would continue and become worse, and the patient could actually die. Before getting treatment, patients need to get the correct diagnosis, which means that they have to recognize that something as bad is going on, they have to dial 911, they have to get to a hospital, they have to get a CT scan, and the drug has to be administered by a qualified physician that knows the indications and the limitations of these drugs. So what percentage of stroke victims now actually manage to get all that done in that window? Across North America, it's about between 2 and 4% of all stroke victims. That's terrible. Yeah. So th- this is why we developed these drugs, because if you can have a drug that helps the brain hold its breath, in a sense, and this drug is safe, so it could be administered in the ambulance on the way to the hospital or on arrival to hospital without a lot of special tests. And if this drug could extend the window during which the brain can adjust to the lack of blood flow or all these other tests could be done and reperfusion treatment could be initiated, so treatment with clot-busting medications, then so many more stroke victims might be eligible for treatment that actually saves part of their brain. You've had animal trials. You've had human trials. What do you still have to do before this becomes widely available? Well, in order to make it widely available, enough people have to be treated in order to demonstrate absolute safety. So far, we have not found any safety concerns about this drug. The trial that we just did in humans was a proof-of-concept trial. So it was relatively small, and it was in a very special kind of stroke, a kind of stroke that you get as a result of a surgical procedure done in a hospital. Our next trial, it's a trial that will be done in a larger patient population and in patients who are actually having community-acquired stroke because that's the ultimate purpose of this kind of drug. So how long until you go through the entire process, do you figure? We anticipate about three to four years. Who owns this drug? This drug is owned by a small biotechnology company called No No Inc. And this is a company that I founded along with uh, five other Canadian scientists who participated in the original discovery. And the reason we founded this company was that we felt that it was our best chance to advance this drug to clinical trials. So it sounds really exciting. What's your reaction to all of this? Well, it would be the same reaction as if we just finished climbing a medium-sized mountain and somebody said, congratulations, now you get to climb Mount Everest. (laughs) Best of luck to you and congratulations on the medium mountain. Thank you very much. We'll be sure to keep you up to date with the developments around NA1. I'm Libby Snymer and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Do you consider yourself a happy person? If not, maybe you lack a creative outlet in your life. In just a moment, doctors Alton and Carrie Barron will tell me how creativity goes hand in hand with happiness. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. The Zoomer Life Conference on Longevity and Aging is coming up on October 25th. 
a husband and wife physician team from New York City will be presenting a step-by-step -step plan which they say can ease depression and anxiety and fuel long-term happiness and well-being. Doctors Carrie and Alton Barron call it a do-it-yourself prescription for happiness. I reached them at their offices in New York City. There's a very powerful relationship between happiness and creativity. There are people who have even thought that creativity was the original or a natural antidepressant. Because when you get engaged in a project, for example, that requires concentration and absorption, sometimes the world just falls away and you become so taken with what you're doing that your mood lifts and you're physically engaged and you start to, your thoughts let go and it can be just a very affirming kind of experience as far as living goes. I've heard the same kind of explanation where people say the same thing about, say, exercise. Uh, do you see a parallel there? A very strong one. In fact, our five-part prescription uh, includes that. It's insight movement, which includes obviously exercise, uh, mind rest, uh, and your own two hands, and then that ultimately leading to a mind shift. Insight is all about self-knowledge, to thine own self be true. That's the idea, and that can be a very freeing and liberating state of mind. When you really understand who you are, what's natural for you, the ways in which you should stretch or the ways in which you should contain it can be very empowering because making the right choices can make a huge difference for our work life, our love life, our family life. So understanding the self, and we, we help people do that through writing exercises, it's very important. The next part of the five-part prescription is movement. And, and movement, we know just the physical exertion, be it using your hands for a, uh, a home improvement project or gardening or actually getting out and moving your body in a more traditional exercise manner, such as taking a vigorous walk in the woods or running or uh, swimming, uh, all of those elevate mood. They change brain chemistry, and much in the same way that antidepressants and anti-anxiety agents do. And free-floating thoughts. A lot of times people say that they discover things when they run, things occur to them when they're walking, that it can be a very creative experience just to move. People have too much to do. People have too many emails to answer. They have so many communications coming at them. And, you know, we need to not be on all the time. We need some passivity. We need some even boredom or daydreaming time. That's very important for both happiness and creativity. Yes, it's interesting. I've seen studies that say that if you need to study something and remember it, the, the best way to do that is, is to have a nap in between. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, they see that, that people score better on tests if they take a nature walk for 10 minutes before and clear their mind. This is interesting because it's something that a lot of us don't do much anymore, using your own two hands. Oh, my. And, yes, that is the foundation of what we are talking about, and that has come up time and time again. The hands are the window to the mind, and it's how we gained our original uh, creative thought and higher thought. It's what caused our cerebral cortices to grow when we were cavemen making tools. When we started using our hands meaningfully and making things, uh, we became smarter. There are psychological benefits. Studies have shown that people who are engaged in hand projects can actually turn their depression around. That's number one. Number two, there's physical benefits just from having to sort of saw or, or mow or move your hands to knit. Those are, those are important for your musculature. What if you have uh, what my mother would have called two left hands? Whatever your limitations are, it's really important to 
understand and accept your limitations and then figure out what you can do. It's not seeking perfection in what you're creating and what you're making. It can be quite blemished. These days, a lot of people express their creativity online using things like social media. There is a difference in cognitive stimulation and brain stimulation between manually handwriting, writing by hand, versus typing at a keyboard. Yeah. Mm, that's, that's a scary thought because, as I'm sure you know, young people do not know how to write. No, right. no. In right. multiple states, and most recently Indiana, has eliminated it as a requirement for education. If somebody is listening and they don't engage in creative pursuits, how do they start? Finding a way to do that that is interesting for you, whether it's walking out into your backyard and, and finding a collection of leaves to, to sort of scatter on the table or, you know, make, mixing up the napkins or there are many, many ways that you can employ creativity. I mean, I've had clients tell me that folding laundry or wiping counters, which, is, which counts as hand use, can calm them down. Sometimes it's tending to your environment. Okay. Any final thoughts? Well, your own two hands. Your own two hands. Just think about your own two hands. There's a lot there for Don't you. Don't forget about them. We <laughs> yeah. need them. They're desperate for you to use them. Okay. Thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to hearing you at the Zoomer Life Conference. Thank you Thank so you much so. for having us. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, Libby. You can see Doctors Carey and Alton Barron at the Zoomer Life Conference Thursday, October 25th at the Glenn Gould Studio in downtown Toronto. For more information, go to zoomerlifeconference.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. That's iconic singer-songwriter Paul Simon. Coming up, we'll celebrate his 71st birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time now for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Tony Award winner Anthony LaPaglia plays Richard Nixon as he campaigns for vice president in 1952. Nixon's promising political campaign almost comes to an end after an accusation of financial impropriety. My fellow Americans, I come before you tonight as a candidate for the vice presidency and as a man whose honesty and, te- and integrity has been questioned. Checkers is in previews at the Vineyard Theater. To the Windy City now for Fashion Focus Chicago. The week-long celebration of Chicago's thriving fashion industry showcases some of the top designers and features runway shows in Millennium Park. And in Tokyo, explore Japan's culture in Asakusa, a district known for its temples and geishas. As Canadian tennis sensation Milos Raonic recently experienced while in Tokyo for the Japan Open, you can have a lesson in using a real samurai sword and try on a traditional Japanese coat. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Thanks, Jane. This weekend, one of the great musical icons of the Zoomer generation celebrates his 71st birthday, Paul Simon. Paul was born in Newark, New Jersey. His father was a college professor as well as a bass player, and his mother was an elementary school teacher. He moved to New York City at a young age and discovered his two obsessions, baseball and music. When he was 11, he met and befriended a schoolmate, Art Garfunkel. 
Together, the two would go through high school writing and performing songs together, honing a craft they would later be famous for. In 1964, they had an audition with Clive Davis at Columbia Records. He was impressed with the duo and signed them as Simon and Garfunkel. They quickly released an album, Wednesday Morning, 3 a.m. It didn't get much attention at first, but slowly one of the songs, The Sounds of Silence, gained a following. They re-recorded it for a follow-up album, The Sounds of Silence, which also contained hit songs like I'm a Rock. From that point on, their careers were established, and the duo released multiple albums with songs like Mrs. Robinson, Homeward Bound, Cecilia, and Scarborough Fair. Around 1970, they decided to spend some time apart. Paul Simon began what became an extremely successful solo career. His Graceland record of 1986 is near the top of any list of the greatest albums of all time. But today, we'll go back to the first solo album he released in 1972. It was self-titled Paul Simon and was a critical and commercial success, partly because of this song, Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard. Mama pajama rolled out of bed and she ran to the police station. When the papa found out, he began to shout and he started the investigation. See me and Julio down by the schoolyard. That was Paul Simon with Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard, a song recorded for his debut solo album. Paul Simon celebrated his 71st birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zuma Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next Sunday when we keep you up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.